podcast with Dan and Scott. Hottest golf podcast, whether you like it or not. Fresh from back in the day when that's a put at the park. 7 a.m. PM special where they played after dark. From the birds to the focus to the losses and the win. Welcome podcast, patron to the show, lead the pen. Get busy golfing or get busy dying. Hottest golf podcast and the swing ain't lying. Welcome back, podcast patrons, to another episode of Leave the Pin Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dan, and we are talking U.S. Open. Yes, it might be September 17th. Yes, the days may be getting shorter. Fall is in the air. We're in Mamoranic, New York. But it is U.S. Open week. When you hear this, players will already be on the course, teeing off of number one, teeing off of number 10, Our man Tiger Woods is going off at 8 o'clock. People, this is it. We made it. We made it to major championship season. We've got the U.S. Open right now. We've got the Masters coming in November. No offense to the PGA. It's always been the stepchild of the four major championships. Um, They held a great champion. They had a great champion in Colin Morikawa. I mean, San Francisco showed up. The PGA did a great job. But to me, there is nothing more quintessential in championship golf than the U.S. Open. The history, uh, the courses, the the private-esque clubs that it's being played on. There's just an air in my mind of superiority that the U.S. Open exudes. Uh, and Wingfoot does nothing to tarnish that image. You've got this gorgeous private club in Mamoranic, New York, founded in 1921. Um, and, and, and the conditioning of this course in mid-September, the agronomy that is going on right now is second to none. The greenskeepers, head maintenance, grounds crew, as well as the USGA, is doing an absolutely superb job. And one of the things that they're dealing with a lot is the lack of daylight. So you have, you know, go outside at 7 o'clock or so, and, and dusk is starting to set in. Now, normally the U.S. Open, you tee time is till, till 3.30 in the afternoon. Right, because you can finish at eight forty-five or so in some places of the country, and still get it in. So these guys are getting there at three thirty, three forty-five a.m. to cut the greens, roll them, cut the rough, blow out all of um, you know the excess grass so it's not stomping on players' feet. All these little things that that go completely unnoticed by the general public that attends a golf event. And obviously we know that no one is attending this year. But Wingfoot is is really showing out. And to me, in my mind, this is the start of my golf season. I know that the FedEx Cup just ended. I get all that stuff. But this right here, this is quintessential Northeast golf. And when I think of Northeast golf, I think of kind of hoity-toity, uppity courses. I think of tree-lined fairways, um, dog legs. I think of really undulating greens, sometimes small, sometimes larger ones. And that's one of the things that happened at Wingfoot. They did an enormous restoration with Gil Hans and company and basically restored the course to its 1921, 1923 green designs, went out with laser references and opened up some new hole locations, some new pin positions on the greens there. And in, in my mind, it's going to be absolutely superb. So let's go a little bit of history in Winged Foot, okay? Its name originates from the New York Athletic Club. That's actually one of the logos. And the group that primarily um, made up Wingfoot when they decided they needed a you know uppity golf club 
in and around 1921 were a group of members that came from the New York Athletic Club. So all they did was take the logo from the New York Athletic Club and transfer it over to Wingfoot. Uh, for worse or for better, there's no real creativity to it, but, I mean, it works out. It's one of the most iconic logos in all of golf now. You've got two 18-hole courses. Um, obviously, the West Course is the one that everybody raves about, ranked 8th or 11th, depending on where you look, on top 100 courses in the U.S., but what most people don't know is that the East Course holds its own, ranked anywhere between 50th and 65th on the 100th greatest golf courses in the U.S. The East Course is just as tough and just as brawny as the West. The only problem is, it doesn't play as long. So what do we get over there? We get the USM, we get the uh, U.S. Senior Open, we get the U.S. Women's Open. But when you talk about the massacre at Wingfoot, everyone always thinks about Hale Irwin, 74 U.S. Open, right? Plus seven, he wins by two strokes over Forrest Fesler. That is a trivia question waiting to happen. But what most people don't know is that an even higher winning score, two years prior to that, the U.S. Women's Open played on the East Course, won by Susie Burning at 11 over par, beat such notables as Kathy Ahern, Pam Barnett, and our own announcer, Judy Rankin. So the massacre at Wingfoot is not limited to just the West Course. The whole entire property, the whole entire A.W. Tillinghast design is brawny, is difficult, is tough, is throwing any you know adjective that you can about the place. The USGA this year says that it's going to play a little bit easier. They said it's not going to be what we saw in the 06 setup where you had Ogilvy beating Furick Mickelson and, and Montgomery. Um, now, that remains to be seen. Because I've watched so many videos this week of the rough and guys just dropping the ball in the rough and it landing, you know, five, six inches down. And guys like Bryson being like, well, it's basically only me that's going to be able to move the ball forward. Not sure if I really agree with everything that Bryson says, but there definitely is a power advantage. However, at the U.S. Open, power is not the only thing that takes guys to the top of the leaderboard. You need to be accurate. And there is not going to be some, mark my words, there is not going to be someone that hits 50, 60% of fairways and is in the top three. It's going to be somebody that is hitting somewhere along the lines of 70, 72% of fairways and then knocking it close. Now, Bryson's got a real interesting strategy, which he's been you know, debuting all year. His mindset is, I'm just going to go out. I'm going to absolutely destroy this ball. Wherever it lands, I'm going to wedge it close. And there's something to be said about that because he's a guy that could open up a seven iron and get it closer to the green where some of these smaller guys, these weaker guys, are going to need to hit full wedge or so to have that loft and not necessarily get it to the green per se. So Wingfoot is really, it's going to set up as a driving course in my opinion but not necessarily a second-shot course. I think chipping and, and putting around the greens is really what's going to separate most people because, let's be honest, no one's going out and hitting 80% of greens or 70% of greens even. And if they are, Wingfoot's greens with this Hans, I don't want to say redesign, restoration, with this Hans restoration is going to make putting the ball on the correct tier, putting the ball on the correct side of the green, super important. 
you know, you could hit 80% of greens. And if you've got 100-foot putts all day long that are breaking 6 to 8 feet and going up and down 3 or 4 feet of elevation, you're not going to be up there. You're not going to the top of the leaderboard. One of the other things that the USGA did, uh, which was very smart, obviously, is reducing the field from the traditional 156 players to 144 players. So basically you have, you know, 12 less players. That's one less group of three for each of the morning afternoon split tee times. So one less off of one, one less off of 10 in the morning, same thing in the afternoon. Gets them around the course a little bit quicker. Um, There's a much shorter window of play. If you do the math, it's exactly two hours and 47 minutes less daylight for round one now, September 17th, than when it originally was supposed to occur mid to late June. That's a lot of time. That's 10, 11 holes for a threesome to get around in. I predict that there's going to be some people not finishing. They're going to be back out early in the morning. The players are already practicing in the morning, warming up under artificial light. The grounds crew is working under artificial light uh, every morning. So it's going to have a little bit of a different look, a different feel. Uh, But, you know, for my money, there's no better time in the Northeast. And Scott and I are long, I mean, lifetime, lifetime. We've lived nowhere else but the Northeast for our entire lives. And for as long as we've been playing golf, there is no better time in my mind than early fall golf. It just doesn't get any better. The only thing that comes close to it is maybe a twilight round, you know, the dead of the summer, get a day where it's like 90 degrees, hot, humid, and it cools off a little bit to like high 70s, low 80s in the evening, and you get those last three or four holes, um, you know, at dusk. That's terrific. But Northeast golf, when when the, the leaves start falling and they start changing colors, and you've just got that different shade of green in the grass because everything's so lush and so thick. It's just great. And one of the things that I really want you to look for this year at the U.S. Open is just watch the way that the course pops off your television screen because it's going to be unlike anything a lot of people have seen before. And they're just not used to seeing the lushness and and the variety of, of, of greens in the grass. I know that sounds very odd, but if you juxtapose it on top of what we saw at the PGA Championship, Granted, there's that marine layer of fog in San Francisco that they deal with all the time. It was a little bit cold, but it, it seemed very dull, right? Coming off your television, even in, in high def, even if with the brightness up, it just seemed dull. And the U.S. Open is really going to pop as far as colors go. And that's one of the other reasons that I'm very excited to see what the Masters looks like in November. I'm just so interested in seeing these different colors and seeing what it, what it looks like. You know, golf is a very, very visually appealing sport. You know, you play baseball at different stadiums, and for the most part, all the fields look the same. They might have different cuts of grass, et cetera, et cetera, but they all kind of look the same. Maybe the skyline's a little bit different. It's 90 feet to every base, right? It's 60.2 from the pitcher's mound to home plate. Everything's the same. Football, there's not really many stadiums that exude any type of aesthetic value. But in golf, every course is so different. And Wingfoot is is really, in my opinion, going to kind of show up, especially with that gorgeous stone clubhouse in the background. Honestly, one of the most iconic clubhouses out there.
mentioned it earlier in the podcast, and we really can't talk about the 2020 U.S. Open at Wingfoot without talking about what Gil Hans and his design company did to the greens and, and did as part of their enormous restoration. The amount of technology used in order to recreate and bring the course back to its original roots was absolutely insane. So Hans, uh, along with his top part, uh, top design partner, excuse me, Jim Wagner, the Wingfoot Grounds crew, and obviously the construction company Labar Golf Renovations, restored all of the greens to their original dimensions, which for the most part means expanding the greens. Because over time with mowing patterns, greens tend to shrink. And with a course like Wingfoot, where you have to be in the proper part of a fairway, in order to attack those greens, it really made some pin positions inaccessible, not to USGA regulations. Um, and then obviously, you're replacing the grass, you're adding sub-air systems, and you're giving Wingfoot and USGA the, the control they want over the golf course. So they are the ones that are dictating what the score is going to be and, and, and how the course is going to play. Because again, unlike other sports, Golf is one of those main sports where you play in inclement weather and the inclement weather can truly dictate how a course is going to play or what's going to be going on. So Wingfoot's two courses, both the West and the East, have hosted, we've had 11 USGA Golf Association Championships in there. Um, five previous US Opens, this being the sixth. And, um, you know, the members were, were promised a course that was not only going to retain its difficulty, but be back to what all those old pictures in the clubhouse look like. And I think for the nostalgia factor alone, the members there said, you know what, this is definitely in our best interest. One of the most amazing facts out of this is you think about cutting your own grass, think about maybe doing a landscaping project in your own property or, or your yard, or you think about your own course, which which maybe restored a few greens or added a bunker here or there or something like that. You say, well, it takes a year or so. 2012 is when Hans and the design crew started the renovation. So what they did first, because such a persnickety group at Winged Foot they did the club's practice area first, and then once the practice area was done, the membership said, well, okay, you know what? You did a great job there. Really like that. Let, let's move on. And then that starts to snowball over time, and then it goes to complete restorations for the entire course. But um, you just imagine the pressure that that Hans was, was under um, because imagine screwing up winged foot. Imagine you're the guy that messes up winged foot. I mean, that's like driving a, a golf cart over the 12th green at Augusta for all intents and purposes. So, um, so you know, they move forward. Uh, everything get, gets restored. And it brings back a little bit of the, the natural toughness to the course. Now, you say natural toughness. Jeez, I mean, you know, Hale Irwin got killed. Everyone gets killed there. Phil got killed. You know, Phil's, Phil's U.S. Open career may have literally ended at Wingfoot. Colin Montgomery, who had his best chance of winning a major championship, was ended by Wingfoot. Um, but those were all under U.S. Open conditions. Now, Wingfoot's one of those courses where even Tiger says, you can come out 
cut the grass to a certain level, get the greens rolling real quick, and within a week, hold the U.S. Open. And that's what Wingfoot wanted. They wanted something that was tough for the members all the time, that the course conditions played the same all the time, and was very true to its original design. So Hans comes in, uh, he does all that, lasers everything out, goes based off of, of um, old information sheets for the, the greens, and uh, adds all new tee boxes, expands some holes, gives some different sight lines, 100,000 total square feet in total for new tees, fairways, and greens. That was all done in-house. The club grew its, all its own sod for it. So an enormous undertaking, almost a decade, almost a decade in the making to host this 2020 U.S. Open. So what's a U.S. Open or a major championship without some amazing swag? You can go on USGA.org uh, right now and go to shop and pick up some great stuff because you're not going to be able to get it at the clubhouse on site. As I record this podcast from work, of all places, uh, we should be on site. We had media credentials for it, and unfortunately, like almost everybody else, our media credentials became digital media credentials. And kudos to the USGA for having that 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 insight um, and being able to adapt on the fly. I mean, that's one of the biggest things. I mean, in, in this era of COVID and uh, pandemic craziness is being able to just do that, adapt and, and switch lanes and change things up. And the USGA has been more than gracious for that. Um, obviously we're upset to miss it in, in kind of our own backyard, 30 minutes from Scott's house. Uh, but it is what it is, but some of the cool swag and everyone knows that I'm a, a big sneakerhead and a shoe junkie, but Nike of course has released its, uh, major championship wing foot models. There's the air zoom infinity tour, uh, the Roche G tour air max 97 G all G stands for golf, obviously in the air zoom victory tour. None of those really, Strike my fancy. I was a big PGA Championship fan. Um, out of these, I think the coolest one is probably uh, the Roche G Tour. Cheapest one, 130. Those are the the Finau ankle breakers, the air ankle breakers, if you will. Uh, simplistic, the golden winged foot, which we know is the logo of also the New York Athletic Club, as we've learned. And 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 they're cool. It's got this uh, pinstriping inside with a little bit of a baby blue and, and navy. Um, but in, in my opinion, the coolest ones and probably the most understated are the Jordan five lows. And obviously I'm a big Jordan fan. Um, I picked up the peace and love hippie tie dye ones from the PGA championship, but the Jordan five lows, the only, the only knock on them that I have is there's no actual winged foot on them at all. They're just in that color scheme and it has the striping, the piping on the inside. Um, but honestly, as an overall whole, a little bit underwhelming and underperforming for Nike in this release. I feel like they just kind of uh, mailed this one in. I thought the PGA Championship one was fantastic and really kind of captured the ideal and the mindset of San Francisco. And with these Nike ones, I don't, I don't, I don't feel the New York vibe. I don't really feel a, a mid. September vibe or um, or the feeling of, of, of Wingfoot as well. I will say that the baby blue and navy stripe across the bottom of the shoe or the inside tongue of the shoe is, is pretty cool because the Wingfoot Clubhouse has that design on the awnings. 
So I like that, but it's it's such a niche design that it doesn't really show off w- what the course is. I would love if they were able to do some type of like pebbled stonework on the shoe, maybe some pebbled leather that looked like the actual clubhouse. Um, but again, that's just me nitpicking. Let's go over a few more housekeeping things before we get into some cool tea times that are going to be happening uh, as of right now. Tiger's about four minutes away from from tea time as we finish up the pod today. Obviously, we're at the West Course at Wingfoot this year, okay, Uh, mid-September. Now, all things being normal next year, going back out to Torrey Pines. People know I love nothing more than than West Coast golf because it ends in prime time on the East. So we're at Torrey Pines, San Diego, June 17th to the 20th. Ends on my anniversary. Shout out my wife. 2022, coming back to the Northeast at the Country Club at Brookline, which honestly, is there a better name for a golf course out there than the Country Club? I mean, it, it, it it's like we don't even need a name. We are the Country Club. 2023, we go to L.A. Country Club, the North Course in obviously California, June 15th to the 18th, then we come to my second home, Pinehurst, in 2024. Head out to Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania, 2025. Rocking back to Shinnecock Hills on Long Island in 2026. And then, obviously, in our rota, we start with Pebble Beach in 2027. So 2024 really starts that that rotational basis that we talked about last podcast. We go Pinehurst, Oakmont, Shinnecock, and then Pebble Beach. What a murderer's row of upcoming U.S. Open sites. So the USGA is always real good about pairing up some crazy groups, Um, you know, whether it's based upon where they live. Like we have our Sea Isle Georgia group going out today. Um, We've got our power group of Morikawa, JT, and Tiger Woods. Um, There's some other great groups going out there as well. Uh, Jazz Janatanawan, Kevin Na, Matt Wallace. That should be an interesting group. That's my dark horse group of the week, if you will. Um, we got Gary Woodland, U S open champ, Andy Ogletree, U S am champ and Shane Lowry defending open champion, all going out at one Oh five following them. This might be the best two groups. Um, actually the best three groups in a row on the course, because following them at one sixteen today in the afternoon is Bryson DJ and Tony Finau. So just a murderer's row, right? Which one of those guys is actually going to hit enough fairways to score? Cause we all know they're going to be taking obscene lines off the tee. Following them, Phil Mickelson with his redemption story. Will he get it done 14 years later at Wingfoot? I will already give you the answer, people. It's no. Paul Casey and John Rahm. Um, I, I don't know what you call this group at 138. Ricky Fowler, Matt Wolf, and Victor Hovland. Um, you could call it the young guns, but Ricky's getting up there a little bit in age. You know, he's past 30 years old, and I think they still treat him like he's kind of a kid. Uh, what else we got? Going off a of hole number 10. Um, we've got, you know, my man, Ian Poulter playing with Patrick Cantlay and Steve Stricker, the European contingent or, um, non U S contingent, I guess I should say, because Adam Scott is obviously not from Europe, but, uh, 807 AM on the opposite side of the draw of Tiger, JT and Morikawa is Rory, Adam Scott and Justin Rose. So the USGA has, has not made it easy on who to watch, but, the beneficial thing is there's no fans on the side anyway. So if you were out there, like, what do you do at 8.05? Do you go watch Tiger? 
JT and Morikawa, or do you go to the other side of the course and watch Rory, Adam Scott, and Justin Rose? I mean, it's a tough, tough choice out of those. Uh, last groups off of the day off of 10 is Steven Jager, Lee Hodges, and Adrian Otagwe. And then on the other side of the course, number one, Connor Syme, Paul Barjon, and Marty Jurston. Probably not too many people out watching them. However, that is my favorite time of the day, being one of the last people off the course, watching the last groups come in. It's it's you and their family members walking normally, and there's usually not much of a big contingent following those groups. Uh, people, look, drop us comments in the DMs. Follow us at Leave the Pin. Check out our merchandise in the link on our bio on Instagram. It's U.S. Open golf. There's nothing else that needs to be said. So either get busy golfing or get busy dying. The game of golf is more than a sport. It's a lifestyle. Blue skies, bright sun, the walk, good friends, and the shots that keep you coming back. That is golf. Iconic, vintage, classic. Eagles and Arrows didn't create the look. They've only perfected it. Eagles and Arrows provides the classic American golf look with a modern spin. Hats, gloves, club head covers, and my favorite, the vintage American carry bag, are some of the amazing items you can find at eaglesandarrows.com. Follow them on Instagram at eaglesandarrows.co. It's Eagles and Arrows Company, CO, on Instagram. Love golf, live life, Eagles and Arrows.